Welcome to Vets to PM's Military Transition Academy podcast, the show where we discuss how to succeed in transitioning from the military service to the civilian workforce. This show and the academy it represents helps veterans transition into meaningful, lucrative post-service careers. Today's special guests are Dr. Josh Ramirez and Dr. Jody Wilson. And what we'll be really talking about is neural plan. And as we get into it, we'll cover some heuristics, biases, behavioral design, neural plan, and behavioral project management in general. Dr. Josh Ramirez is the CEO and founder of the Institute of Neuro and Behavioral Project Management with Dr. Jody Wilson. His experience includes work at numerous DOE sites and national labs, including Hanford, LBNL, PNNL, and Los Alamos. And he also teaches program and project management at Columbia Basin College and Lewis University in Chicago. He has written best practices for DOE Energy Facility Contractors Group that focus on blending cognitive and behavioral science with project management. And he's also the co-founder of Neural Plan with Dr. Sherry DeBates, a certification that has been set up to increase by 80% in probability of meeting your project milestones. Josh's doctoral research focused on designing project management with behavioral science. It's a really interesting show with a free giveaway at the end. So stick around to see what that offer is. Welcome back to the MTA podcast. And what we've got today is Dr. Wilson and Dr. Ramirez. And all we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different subjects including heuristics. If you know what that means, I'll have to look it up in the dictionary and let them tell us what it means. Uh, but we also have a, a bunch of stuff in project management and a cool opportunity that I'll wait to bring up towards the end. So let's get a little uh, information on you guys, get to know you a little bit, let the crowd hear who you are and your voice. Uh, let's start with Jody, and then we'll move over to uh, Joshua. Hi, I'm Jody Wilson, and Josh and I have been working together for several years on this concept of behavioral project management, working on including and infusing a lot more of behavioral sciences into project management and really trying to make it more behavior and user friendly. Um, so that's kind of how we decided to get together and create this um, company and the programs that we've been offering. Wow. Too cool. Uh, Dr. Ramirez. Yeah, I'm Josh, uh, echoing a little bit of what uh, Jody was saying. Yeah, we've been working together probably about a decade, um, combining behavioral and cognitive science with project management. It's, uh, it's essentially redesigning, or should I, should I say designing project management around human cognition and the brain. Uh, it doesn't necessarily replace any one method so much as it informs and adds foundation to uh, predictive and agile methods, whatever method you're using. Uh, essentially, like uh, the first time when I asked Jody about, you know, hey, does human behavior have anything to do with project management? She kind of pointed at her head and said, uh, well, if they have one of these, yeah. So... So yeah, it essentially applies to everything, you know, from your personal life to uh, the, the way you manage projects and essentially designing your interfaces, skills, softwares, processes, everything around kind of human cognition. So uh, yeah, we've been going at it for a few years. We introduced the, the neural plan certification uh, in 2021. And so, um, yeah, it's all coming together. Wow. Wow. It's, it's interesting stuff. I mean, especially when you talk about does project management have to do with, you know, human cognition? Well, of course, right. You're making decisions all the time. Right. 
unless it's some kind of AI bot inside of a project management information system. And even that you've got to get input right from there. So I, I would exactly. say it's completely fine. I'm super interested in what's going on in this field. So I, I'm, I can't wait. I don't know who wants to start, but let's just talk heuristics. What is heuristics and how, how that plays into what you're doing? Go ahead. So, uh, yeah. So the quick and dirty kind of definition of a heuristic is essentially it's a mental shortcut. Um, similarly to we have copy, paste, um, cut in our computers. Mentally, we have these shortcuts that say, I need to bypass a lot of information here and get to an action mode. Or we have spots where we are expanding, right? So the heuristic is to take in more information. Um, essentially, for survivability, our brain was designed and our body was designed to conserve energy. So a heuristic is really about how do we conserve energy and make it to the next step. Um, that's what it all comes down to. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. I do know a little bit about it. I mean, we're talking about like, all right, I don't want to fire up, you know, the whole machine that that big part of the brain wants to sit back in a bag of Cheetos, you know, in a bean bag and just relax while I'm just, oh, yeah, yeah, I know the answer to that. Two plus two is four. Right. right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a way it's a it's a it's a form of automatic decision making in the brain or not decision making, but automatic judgments, I would I guess is probably more accurate description. And it is the foundation of cognitive biases. OK, is that is that based largely on Dr. Kahneman's like research on thinking fast and slow? Is that uh, very much so? Yeah, he's one of the researchers. Yes. OK, OK. I did start to read that. So, I mean, as soon as you said we got those two parts of the brain, I'm like, OK. Now I got it. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now then we talk about bias. Where is that different from a heuristic? Well, so the heuristics are, so if you think about uh, like when you go to like your Google search engine, right? You think about like how it has predictive text. And as soon as you start typing something in, it starts giving you suggestions. That's kind of like the way heuristics are is, is as information is coming into your brain, your brain's kind of like, in split seconds, kind of automatically assigning values or judgments based on the inputs that are coming in. So essentially that is like the foundation of many cognitive biases is so it's taking that kind of automatic processing and essentially uh, biasing us in some form or fashion very quickly, right? It's, it happens very fast. Yeah, I've done this before 10 times. It worked out nine times before or whatever. All right. right. Yeah. Okay. Also, like, you know, we look at cognitive load. So we get into this spot where we may have a lot of information coming at us and we start moving into bias mode when we're saying, hey, it's too much. I have to go make dinner now. I can't make that decision. So I'm just going to put it on autopilot and slide over into optimism bias and just say yes. Right. I'm just going to say, yeah, let's move forward and not put enough um, effort, kind of mental effort into fully diving into that decision. Yeah. And to add to that, you know, she talked, uh, Jody was talking about cognitive load. There's another big one in, in project management, which is time pressure. And so by default, you know, I mean, the definition of a project is a temporary endeavor to deliver a product or a service. And that temporariness essentially creates the time pressure. Time pressure is linked to heuristic decision-making. So as soon as you introduce time pressure, essentially what you're doing is you're getting more heuristic 
decision-making or defaulted decision-making by default, right? So it's, it's almost like those of us who are in project management are actually kind of more, um, I guess you would say susceptible or uh, likely to be using heuristic type decision-making. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, in the beginning, you probably don't make as many good decisions heuristically. And then as you get more and more experience, you probably, hey, you dumb, by dumb luck, you know the answer because you've been exposed to this over right. and over. So it probably will work so out. So if you've ever heard of, right. If you've ever heard of the book Nudge or uh, theories around choice architecture, for example, uh, what a lot of that is, is kind of designing um, things, processes, steps, softwares, essentially to help us make better decisions by default, right? So that your heuristics kind of default to better decisions. So this is where we see an, a huge area in project management, a huge area of opportunity is essentially kind of designing project management so that people kind of make better decisions in, in whether it's planning or risk analysis or unpacking scope, et cetera essentially by designing those steps so that there are less biased decision-making, you know, there's less reliance on heuristics to make those decisions because especially under time pressure, it just, it just kind of accelerates that it's a domino effect. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. One of the things I would piggyback on that is like with behavioral design, sometimes we start trying to make decisions where we don't need to make decisions. And one of the things that helps with the nudges and the streamlining is to take that noise out where it's like, I don't need to hyper-focus or I don't need to spend energy trying to unpack um, this portion right now. I really need to dive in with the team and ask the questions to the team um, kind of piece. So that's another way that you can um, help default some of the decision-making in the respect that it's about timing, especially when you're looking at nudges and things like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to accelerate it in the hierarchy of like, I don't have to decide on this one today yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh. And so then you can bypass that and be, and really focus in on the right time to make that decision. That's good. And I agree a hundred percent. Like as soon as there's a timeline on that, there is a mental workload. Like, cause now I know at some point there's a deadline, not to say there's not always a deadline with a project. It's just when you hit a certain phase gate in a project or, Hey, it's coming tomorrow or sponsor says, I need this product delivered early, you know, and you start putting, you know, any kind of pressure on the project manager or any, even the development team. You start to really work that. So do you guys work, you, you mentioned nudge a couple of times, but then we talk about like what your program's going to start doing. Is it providing education and knowledge on the heuristics and biases, or are we creating like an ecosystem where we can input, you know, if this, then do that. Talk to me a little bit about that. So uh, if you look at the neural plan training, for example, what we've done is kind of a little bit of both. So it includes both training on heuristics and cognitive biases, but also looking at um, how we do prediction in project management from a human cognition perspective. Because if you look at it, really everything, just about everything we do in project management is predictive in some form or fashion, whether it's, you know, 
what resources do we need tomorrow, next week, or a month from now? You know, how long is this activity going to take? What are the risks, et cetera? All those are kind of forward looking. So we also look at some of that and how um, the brain looks at the future versus the present. Um, also, you know, suggestions for how we recommend based on cognitive science and, what, and the research, how you would put a plan together, right? Some of What are some of the steps that you would take? For example, um, they found that unpacking and obstacle identification tends to end up with more reliable predictions on the plan or the forecast and how long something's going to take or how many resources you're going to need. And so those are based on behavioral science studies that have essentially said they've been tested and essentially shown to make more reliable plans, more accurate plans. So it's a combination of um, training on heuristics, training on cognitive biases, um, how we look at decision-making and, and prediction and risk, and then recommended steps in terms of how we would put a plan or a forecast together, for example. Wow, that's too cool. I mean, it's, it sounds really deep. And in fact, you know, I'm sure it is. And how easy is it to get through this kind of training? Uh, it takes about, we, we estimate about 50 to 60 hours or so. It's, uh, it is a online training. It is self-paced. There's about uh, 40, I think it's like 44 videos that we've recorded throughout as well. Um, so it's, it's pretty extensive. I would say it takes a, a good week or two to get through it. If you're, if you're really uh, pounding away at it. Um, but we've had a lot of good feedback and not just from the project management perspective, what we found is a lot of people have learned about just human behavior in general, uh, about themselves, about their team, um, a little bit about leadership, although it's not our main focus, um, decision-making and, and prediction risk planning is very central. I always say you, half of, of, of behavioral PM is learning psychology and project management and the other half is is what to do in project management yeah i was just going to say the same thing i feel like it it's, would help you make better decisions in life you know like right not just project management i mean i right. I, was, I never even saw myself as a project manager for a long time and uh and and after i got the training i was like man i use this stuff all the time like if i'm gonna go <laughs> find a new lawnmower you know or go grocery shopping it's just it just makes you a better decision maker is kind of what it sounds like. I mean, what's your, what do you think, Jody? Yes. So to Josh's point, we have gotten some feedback from people who have found that when they get into the spot specifically about the moderators, they're able to start picking and pulling some of those strategies and utilizing them in other areas of their work life, their regular life. Um, we've ha had a lot of pretty impactful um testimonials on what an impact that portion has had for people so, yeah wow and you so you have a, a a military background jeremy i do i mean obviously in in the military there's a lot of psychology in in the leadership aspects of that i mean how do you see that interconnection between the psychology of project management and what your experience was in the military yeah, I think I think it's a great question. And, and the more I've learned about your field is, you know, ultimately in the very beginning and, and probably the very low ranks slash, you know, entry level, you probably don't make as many decisions. You're you're mostly like, hey, shut up and color. Uh, but then I've noticed like 
very quickly you as you excel you're making decisions in near like no information and no time to make them and so how do you make a good decision that could impact another person's life so i this is a critical i mean i think it's critical for the military minded member even before they decide to exit like i get it today so you're making better decisions tomorrow it's that's my knee-jerk reaction to this. I mean, because obviously I, I've got a ton more research to do. I'm going to be one of your first clients. You know, I mean, I, I'm going to go through it. But but ultimately, I think that, uh, you know, just on the the amount of research that I've done is I think it just makes you a better human and it's going to help you protect other humans. You know, it's like at right. the very fundamental level. Well, and yeah. you, you mentioned that kind of uh, sometimes you don't have time to make uh, a, a good decision or or, or sometimes it feels like you don't have enough time to make a good decision. And sometimes that's where we say, you know, let your brain go into system two for a few seconds and, and take just another minute to slow down your thinking. Because just slowing down your thinking alone um, can have huge positive impacts on your decision making. But on the other side of that, for and and the military does it very well, is that kind of muscle memory and your and your brain can develop muscle memory as well for for decision making, not just you know pure muscle memory like you know. Uh, but it's that if you, I, I liken it to playing the piano. When I first started learning to play the piano when I was a kid, I had to take the chords very slow and deliberately, till I learned them, right? And I'd practice over and over and over again. Sometimes four hours a day, right? Until, you know, today, I don't have to think about it. And so essentially, I can just lay out an entire chord across the entire piano and not much thought goes into it. And so the military uses kind of those same kind of muscle memory um, training exercises. And you can do the same thing with your brain so that your heuristics are essentially trained to make better decisions because, oh, I've reached this juncture. This is where the training becomes very important under time pressure. I know I need to unpack, right? So instead of, instead of just automatically making a decision, I will automatically go to unpacking, right? And so that's that kind of constant training uh, that kind of helps, you know, alleviate some of those heuristics and defaults. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. In aviation in the military, they say there's, there's always time to make the right decision and there's right. rarely time to make two bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I like that. I, I agree. And I, you know, as you're saying that my brain was going to typing on a QWERTY keyboard, right? Like right. I sit there and think about the letters. I think about the phrase and I just start to go. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Too cool. What else about the system? Let's talk just a little bit about what somebody might encounter when they go to the website, sign up and and do some, what's kind of the, the layout. So we have uh, our main website, which is behavioralpm.com. And that's essentially just the front site that has just a little bit about behavioral project management. Um, and then there is a membership tab there. You can actually sign up to become a member for free if you click on click on the, the membership tab there. It only takes like, you know, 10 seconds, name and email address. Uh, and then neural-plan.com, not neuro, neural, so N-E-U-R-A-L-plan.com. And that's the certification site. Um, so... It, it make it sound a little confusing. Neural plan. It, it's not just about planning. Essentially, the neural plan certification is the behavioral P 
PM certification and planning, right? Because it essentially teaches you all about kind of the background, um, biases, heuristics, human behavior, et cetera. It gives you the foundation to build off of too. Right. Right on. Yeah, I think it's so neat. I'm I'm super excited. What are you guys, have you seen a lot of people go through this yet? Are we just launching this? I mean, you said it was 2022. I think you said you launched it. Is that right? Uh, April 30th of 2021. Okay. Uh, it was kind of like, we haven't done a lot of marketing. You know, it's just kind of been put it out to a few groups, get some feedback. You know, we'll start working on Rev2 here in a little bit, but it, um, of course, that'll take a while. Um, but um, so now we're kind of really getting out there and and starting to push it out. Now that we've got some feedback, uh, developed a little bit more on the websites, opened the membership platform. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's like now it's time to start pushing it out and, you know, get more people trained and get more people exercising all those kind of uh, different models that we have in there. Yeah, right. So now the science is proven. Go ahead, Jody. We have had um, quite, not like thousands of people attend it yet, but we are in the hundreds that have been offered it and have started moving through the program. So it's in that piece where we've gotten enough feedback that we feel like we need to open the doors more on it, like Josh was saying. Right. Yeah. It's become fully baked, right? It's, I mean, we do it all the time, right? We need a trainer by it you know, trade and then also, you know, certifications and everything else. And you want to test it on a pilot group, make sure, you know, it, it is what you thought it was and the feedback is there. So right. I like that. So now it's fully baked. We're ready to move out and let's get some volume. Right. Right. Yeah. And where else was it a great place to start with then with the, the veterans, right? So being a former uh, or being a former, being a veteran myself, army, um, I, that was kind of one of the first places that I wanted to go to and kind of start pushing it out to to the veterans and and get a bunch of veterans certified. So let's talk about that for just a second. The what what are we offering today? You know, we've got we've got uh, and I want you to be able to say it. So because I don't want to break the surprise, but to me, I think this is such a cool offering that I think everybody should you know turn up the volume right or be ready to hit pause to where you get to a place where you can scribble on a pencil. Uh, but here you go. Tell them about the offer. Yeah. So we are offering the neural plan NPPQ certification uh, for free to all veterans and uh, their spouses and dependents. Essentially, you go to the neural plan website um, and you go add to cart and there's a little icon over there. Uh, I don't think it's a little orange and white icon. Essentially, it's for veterans. Essentially, you click through there and you go through the verification process. And that is going to get you into the course for uh, for free. It's a $700 value. So I'm hoping that uh, lots of veterans will be able to go on there and start their certification course, get certified. Um, and I, what? You forget three spouses. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't I say that? Oh, you did <laughs> oh. not. Not include us. <laughs> it, it it does include. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. It include. does include spouses and and dependents. As long as I, it, you have to go through that verification process through the automated system. But yeah, so yeah, that's going uh, live. It is live now, and it will be going through uh, March twenty seventh of twenty twenty four. All right. Yeah, we got the time date stamp now. So get in there early. Uh, at this point, by the time this releases, you'll probably have about a month. But sign up, 
and get get going. I think that that's pretty cool. It'll take you, like you said, at least a week of good, hard grueling work, maybe a little longer. Uh, how long do they have access to the system? Is it kind of a until you're done situation? Once, once yep. you're in until you're done. And then you also have access to the community. So we have a kind of a membership community where you can post questions, keep engagement going, um, at, network with other individuals who have completed the course or who are just simply interested in um, behavioral project management too. Wow. Yeah. I think it's such a great offering and I really hope a ton of people just flood the market because I, the, the more I read like Donald Daniel Kahneman's and uh, you know, some of your guys's website information and then a couple other books on, you know, just, just the, the mental aspect of life in general, but then its effect in something I'm passionate about, a project management, and that you guys are delivering projects. I think you you quoted somewhere in the 80% better. If if you make better decisions, you'll produce projects that produce better results. It's yeah. Also, so we oh go ahead, Jody. It's also interesting how rapidly you can see that result starting to come in. It literally when people are implementing some of the strategies, they're finding that 80% um, improvement rate, and it's within 30 days. It's not a, hey, we're not going to see this until the end of the project piece. They are literally seeing those metrics change very dynamically and very quickly. Wow. Yeah, and so you know, a couple pilot studies that we've run in the last few years, I think there's two, two big ones that I'd like to kind of throw out there. One is um, I mean, it's going to vary by project, obviously, but uh, and and one pilot we we did, we found that about sixty five percent of the delays in like uh, schedules, for example, were actually preventable and predictable in the planning or forecasting sp um, phase. So essentially, so an example is, um, uh, you know, they make a plan to show up at a specific site you know, the, the crew shows up and there's another crew in there and the same space where they were, were going to be working and they weren't able to work. Right. So in, in that particular case, you have a delay um, the, where, where now that team has to go and essentially redeploy to another project. If there's another project that, that they can redeploy to, let's say you got a team of five or six people at a hundred bucks an hour, essentially you have waste and a cost variance associated with that delay. And, and that, I'm just using an example of one particular thing I saw when I was doing this little study. And, and what I found was that in many of those cases, it was because someone forgot, didn't uh, really unpack the tasks enough to essentially find out they need to make a phone call to make sure that that space wasn't gonna be occupied for when the Bravo team showed up, so to say. And so, um, it's little things like that, right? And so what we have to understand is that our brain is essentially, you know, has has access to all this information. And then if it's not trained correctly, essentially it's not pulling in the information that it needs in order to make a prediction. And so that 65% kind of really lines up with, it was human error that caused the error, you know, in the plan and the failed prediction, which resulted in a delay which resulted in a cost variance and a schedule variance, right? And so um, the other the other metric is that 80% improvement. So what we've seen is 
in, in many projects, you can get up to about 80% improvement in the prediction accuracy. So if you're getting that 80% improvement in prediction accuracy, and about 65% of that is preventable, essentially what you're doing is you're reducing waste while accelerating schedule. And, and so if you apply that to the $48 trillion a year in projects globally, you know, just a, a simple extrapolation gets you to about a three trillion improvement in um, project outcomes, wow. right? Wow! And it's recognizing that your brain is essentially the most important computer, even more important than AI, right? AI becomes a tool to help you. It's not like AI is a hindrance; it, it it can help you with those cognitive aspects. But you have to realize that the human is the most important decision maker. And that our brains are not just feeling machines, but they're also thinking machines. Yeah. Wow. That's good. I'd like to piggyback and maybe offer another frame of what Josh is talking about. Um, one of the things that we're also finding through the research is that it's really important to use the right heuristic at the right time. So similarly to all of the effort we go into making teams, right? If you think about we, a lot of us have been trained on making or creating strength-based teams. When you are looking at decision-making and looking at some of the modeling that we're proposing, it's really about how do you use the right heuristic or the right bias or the right moderator at the right time. Similarly, you don't want to put someone who's untrained into a position of, you know, high volatility if they aren't prepared for it. So we're looking at a, how do you train the brain for that? How do you know what the go-to should be, what the tool should be at the time, and then moving forward with that. Um, I've done a lot of work in the strength space land. And so it's also that piece of, if you show up to a meeting and use the wrong strength, you can actually have that show up as a weakness, right? And that's the same thing that we're talking about from a cognitive perspective. Using the right decision-making tool at the right time will actually further your cause or further your product um, quicker. So Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. It's like you're almost rapid system engineering, right? You don't have to necessarily go through the situation, have the negative effect. You could go into that same situation, recognize it for what it is, apply a better decision and then not have the negative outcome. So it's like your short circuit. It's like, oh, I've done this before a hundred times, even though it's your first time. That's cool. Exactly. Wow. So you're making experienced people out of inexperienced people. <laughs> <laughs> That's know, the goal, right? <laughs> to put it in layman terms, right? Like, hey, I'm making an, a journeyman out of you, even though you're an apprentice and, and we're going right. to accelerate how efficient and effective you're going to be. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's too cool. And on the efficiency and effectiveness side, it, that reminds me, uh, I was thinking about uh, one of our other key findings in the research. Um, you know, we hear a lot about optimistic um, planning, optimistic forecasting in project manager. I mean, like what the stats are like above 70% of all projects fail their cost and schedule objectives. And if 65% of that's predictable or preventable, that means that essentially that translates into an optimistic plan, which is then harder to achieve. <clears throat> but what we find is that, yeah, you know, there's 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 a lot of talk about, well, if it's optimistic plan, it must have been optimism bias. And what we find is that 
Um, in many cases, and sometimes in most cases, it's not necessarily optimism bias per se. And here's the big piece of it. The majority of cases, it's missing information. So we didn't have all the information that we needed to make a good decision or make a good plan, which resulted in a shorter duration or lower cost, which resulted in an optimistic plan. So it wasn't necessarily the optimism bias caused optimistic planning. It was all the other cognitive factors that caused us to miss information, which resulted in an optimistic plan. And that's where we go to the subject of the cognitive moderators that Jody was talking about. Um, so if you go to the Neuroplan site, there's a, um, there's a tab on there called cognition. And essentially what we're describing is that the brain essentially misses information for a variety of reasons, whether it's time pressure. Sometimes we avoid information because of cognitive dissonance associated with risk, for example. Uh, sometimes we fear certain information because of low psychological safety in the organization. Uh, or we're under-process information because of cognitive load. And those are just a few of the, the nine or 10 cognitive moderators that we have on the site. And you can just go read about all about them all you, know, all you want. Um, but essentially what we're saying is that it's not necessarily optimism bias that causes us to have optimistic planning in many cases. It's that we're missing information and that we're not getting all the information because of all those cognitive factors. So those are at the individual level, the team level, and the organizational level, right? So for example, the organization at the organization level, the organization usually controls the time pressure on the individual, the cognitive load, decision fatigue, and psychological safety. Wow. So those four things, the organization has a lot of play and a lot of um, essentially power to change in its own organization. So if, if the organization is controlling those factors, they essentially start getting better decision-making by default um, by controlling some of those factors. Wow. It's big stuff. I'll tell you what. It it it's really seems uh, like super in-depth and there's no way I'll ever be able to understand it. But then sometimes you'll throw in these stories and I'll be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I do that now, right? Just right. like <laughs> the cognitive load or the uh, decision fatigue, right? Right. Uh, I got four daughters. By the time I'm home after a long day at work and they're hitting me up with 50 questions, I'm just like, I don't even want to fire up system two. Yeah, go ahead. Go ask your mom. <laughs> That's called decision fatigue. <laughs> right. Uh, and we make tiny decisions throughout the day, right? Sometimes they're not even huge ones. You know, it can be... When you're making a decision, when you decide, you know, how much creamer to pour in your coffee or if you're going to get a coffee or, you know, what road you're going to, what path you're going to take to get to work, all those are little decisions and they all add up to decision fatigue. Have yeah. you ever seen that video of Aretha Franklin where she's been interviewed and they're asking her, like, what's the hardest thing you have to do every day? And she's like, decide what's for dinner. <laughs> like, by the end of the day, deciding what is for dinner is just it's just over the top. Like that's the hardest decision of every day. Yeah. And I, I and I, I'm glad you actually brought that up because it made, it sparked it in my head that it was like, okay, when I was in the military, I had like far less personal decisions. I already knew what I was going to wear. I pretty much had a routine on what I was going to eat. How I was going to do my hair that I was going to shave, you know, it was all these different things I didn't even think about. So I didn't even feel like cognitive load. 
you go fast forward to the transition. It's like, what am I going to wear? How am I going to do my hair? You know I mean? It's, now all those micro decisions start adding up and I'm stressed before I ever walk out the door. So right. I, I can get down with that. And, and a lot of stress. Oh, go ahead, Jody. And a lot of military individuals become very overwhelmed in transition. It's a very common um, experience for people, not just from the job perspective, but exactly what you're saying. The contract that they were under relegated what they could and couldn't choose. So now the freedom of choice can be highly overwhelming. Yeah. Choice overload. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like a cheesecake factory menu. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to eat there. Just give me three things and I'll choose. There recently. And I was like, not only did they, <laughs> not only did they have like a gazillion cheesecakes, but the menu was huge. I was like, this is an advertisement for cheesecake factory, but <laughs> Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Choice overload. Right. Right. Um, as, as we go through just a couple, couple other things, you know, as we start to near it down, you know, what are some, some other things you might, I love the fact that you brought up, you know, that's what causes some stress, you know, for a transitioning members is that decision-making overload or, you know, cognitive fatigue or, you know, what are a couple other things that you say they don't go to the Thing. I, like we have neural super highways in our mind that are saying, hey, one, you're this identity, two, you're this. What are a couple tips and tricks like a transitioning member might get today out of a couple of things that you guys have researched? I love that you brought the one thing up. But let's bring up a couple others. I'll let Jody take this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the hard one, right? So just like you're saying, there are a lot of places where you can easily hit overwhelm and it's okay to say, you know what, this is too much right now and I need to pare this down. Um, again, like we're even seeing it right now with AI, right? We have all of these new applications coming out and people are getting inundated and it's okay to be like, okay, I'm going to wait on this because I actually don't have to implement this right now. Um, it's that prioritization. So do, you know, your key factors, figure out where you're going to live post-military, figure out what the job is going to be, you know, and really kind of recognize what becomes your too much factor and then recognize where you need to be to make that decision at that time. Um, it's a lot, a lot like funneling, right? So you have a lot of decisions to make and you prioritize what is the decision that needs to be right now, kind of that red flag um, or the Eisenhower method that people talk about where you have the four quadrants and what is it that you can just say, you know, not, right now, this isn't important. Yeah. What's urgent? What's important? Right. I like that. There's, there's, unpack it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I also think that something that might affect them and, and you can, you know, add to this is, you know, it's that, that psychological fear, right? It's, I don't, I almost have a blind spot because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the fact that I'm about to cut my paycheck in a, to a third, right? If you're retiring or, or something, if you're separating it now, it's, you've got a whole new uh, situation there, but it was almost like for me, when I, when I retired, I was like, you know, I'll deal with that later. I just figured money will come in. Don't worry, but I, I'm not going to deal with the exact amount. And, and then I'm just like, whoa, well, wait a minute. <laughs> so that could have been a blind spot for me. You know, another uh, cognitive trick in many, in many uh, decision-making scenarios is we talked about it a few minutes ago was unpacking. Right. And so at, 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 in many cases, 
uncertainty and risk look scarier at, from a high level because we haven't unpacked it into its subcomponents to determine what it is that is actually scary under there, right? And so, um, unpacking. By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend this to everyone in project management. If you take nothing away from this podcast today, take unpacking with you. Unpack your scope. Unpack your risk. Unpack your schedules. Unpack it. You can always repack it later and and roll it up to a summary level. But unpack it. But yeah. So from the cognitive perspective, a lot of things do look more uncertain from a high level. And when you unpack it and and look at it, it's subcomponents essentially you're building a mental model model of what's really underneath not just what it looks like from the outset right because your heuristics kind of go straight to ah that's scary oh that's uncertain but let's look at under the hood and see what's you know actually going on it's kind of like when your car breaks down or you know and, and sometimes you open the hood and you realize you know it was something simple but you know being stranded on the side of the road is kind of scary because you don't know what's going on, right? So look under the hood, see what's see what's under there, see what's actually going on. Oh, I like and, that. Oh, and to Josh's point, um, anchor back to certainty. So uncertainty leads us to feel fearful on some level. So it gets that it starts hijacking your amygdala or starts hijacking your brain. Um, and really going back to this is what is certain. This is what I know. I know that I am capable of finding a job. I know that I will have enough money to cover this, this, and this, um, you know, like what your core bills are. You go back to what you know, and then you divert off very in small chunks off of that. Um, from a neuroplasticity point, we actually learn faster if we go into routes that we have existing in our brain and then make a slight right turn or make a slight change versus trying to overlay the brain with completely new information so that um, we also call it transferable skills right? We look at what are the skills that you already have. You go to the point where you actually need to branch off and that's where you need to make the quote unquote change. Other people will see the change as from the beginning, but really you want that. This is what I already know. And this is what I already know how to do. And then move forward from the point of what you don't know. Wow. Why the two, two great, really pieces of advice. I mean, ultimately what I heard from it was don't let your irrational fears be create some giant monster, unpack it or decompose it or whatever project management word you want to use and, and turn it back into fact, right? Let's, let's find out what it is. Broke down on the side of the road, super scary, right? I'm on, I'm on the interstate. I could get hit. Uh, it's a hundred degrees outside. I don't have water. Oh, wait a minute. It's, it's just this uh, little wire. It's a ground wire. Great. We can fix it. Or, hey, I've got a tow truck on the way. We'll be all right. So that's back to certainty. And then I love the other thing, the, hey, you've, got a, you've already got a super highway. Don't try to plow a new one. Use it until it's not taking you where you want to go and then off ramp, right? Exactly. Great, great advice. All right. Last couple words. We'll let it, uh, Jody, you go first. And then Joshua, you got the last word. Honestly, we're just excited to be able to work with everybody and to help people improve 
um, especially on the project management scale, but to your point, seeing how it can also help you outside of project management in transition, military transition, career transition. So we're just happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Wilson. Yeah. So what I would say is uh, remember that uh, behavioral PM does not replace agile or waterfall. It adds a foundation of, of cognitive science under its evidence-based. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of research behind it. Uh, I'll also add that this isn't necessarily new. It's just new to project management. Behavioral science has been out there for several, for, well, for a long time, but they've created behavioral economics, behavioral finance, behavioral marketing. Project management's just been a little bit slower to get there. Um, and they're already doing, you know, software design with it, which is what we're starting to get into. Uh, process design, procedure design. Uh, we're looking at behavioral PMOs, um, eventually behavioral project management degrees, um, you know, developing a journal of behavioral project management. So there's there's all these kind of things that are starting to open up as we start to introduce behavioral science into project management. And it's not just about skills or, you know, teaching to debias yourself. It's about designing your environment and designing your processes and the steps that you take around human cognition. Wow. Thanks, Dr. Ramirez. I really appreciate you. I had a great time. Honestly, I love learning about this stuff and I can't wait. Uh, I already know my marketing manager signed up while we were on the show. So oh, awesome. <laughs> so that's one. Uh, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go sign up and you guys uh, jump on LinkedIn. I'll put the uh, information in the description of the show and it'll also be on YouTube. So get after it. We appreciate it. Thanks for letting us uh, come and uh, join you on, on the quest. Thank you for tuning in and spending a bit of time with us at the Military Transition Academy powered by Vets to PM. If we piqued your interest, but you want more details, please head over to the website vets2pm.com and see if we can help prepare you for a better tomorrow or a future meaningful and lucrative career.